Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode of the Sun Ranto Show was recorded live and streamed on Danny Rocket's YouTube page. If you'd like to listen early and ad free to the Sun Ranto Show, well, you should subscribe. Patreon.com slash Sunranto. It keeps the show in tickets and beer. Now get over there. Patreon.com slash Sunranto. Support us today. Now you're going to have to listen to some ads. Here's the show. Hey, welcome to John Baker Day 2020. It is the fifth annual John Baker Day. Um, and uh, well, the night that we celebrate uh, the, back, the backup catcher getting the win back in 2014. And of course, I think this year, I think this John Baker Day is going to be unlike every other John Baker Day because uh, this year, 2020, has been unlike every other year that I've experienced on the face of this earth, all the rest kind of blur together at this point. Um, so uh, let me ask you guys, how you doing on this? Let's, how you doing? 2020 John Baker day. What, what, what's it looking like for you, John? Well, I, I'm, I'm very grateful that I have a job uh, and that the baseball season starting again. And I think that 2020 appears to be like a lot like 1918, uh, <laughs> all things considered not to really joke about, global pandemics and uh, the systemic racism finally coming into the public consciousness. But I feel like a lot of those things have been around since 1918. So it's kind of a fitting thing. But no, I'm happy to have a job. I'm happy to be at work. I'm really looking forward to the season getting started um, because I think baseball is going to bring back some normalcy. Um, it's, it's a new normal, uh, but it's better than what was going on a month ago. Yeah, and uh, it, another fun thing about 1918 is that the Cubs played the Red Sox in the World Series that year. So actually, uh, that that wouldn't be bad. It, it'd take it take us till October this year. And uh, to, Corey, how are you? And I'd love for if if you told everybody out there in John Baker Day TV land, uh, you know, about our past John Baker days. Yeah, so I and thought I'll, this was our fourth John Baker Day, but it's our fifth. 16, 17, 18, 19. 20 that's five cinco cinco de baker okay well um so yeah in the past what we've done to to celebrate uh john baker's uh heroics uh in that game uh we have uh been at nisei lounge we've been at g-man and basically just kind of thrown a party uh for for that uh, um uh, because of what happened that day and used it as an opportunity to get the various uh cubs communities together uh, related to our podcasts and blogs and everything, um, and, and to, to celebrate the game, uh, to celebrate John, but also to uh, benefit uh, someone in need. Uh, so uh, we've uh, done benefits for Cubs Cub charities for a couple years. Uh, um, the, we two years ago, I think we we did a benefit for the Noel family uh, who was involved in an accident. Um, and then last year, uh, we did a benefit for the Chicago Battered Women's Network. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's been kind of a fun, the first couple of years, I mean, it was nice to, to work with Cubs charities, 
Um, but it's also, I think it's been a little extra rewarding to have some faces uh, to the people that we are helping out um, and just doing what we can uh, to help them out. And so, um, so that's, that's kind of what the history of this event has been. Um, but John, I, I think, um, you know, we've referenced the game. Uh, Danny's shown a few pictures, I think. So may- maybe the, the best place to start is for you to tell the story of that game from your perspective. You know, sports keep coming back, and that's great. Well, so does your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball is in full swing, and there is no shortage of ways to get in on the action. Because BetOnline has all the odds, features, and props for you to bet on. Also, tune in as Floyd Money Mayweather joins the BetOnline team in a new segment called The Ice is Right, where he talks about his expensive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. Visit betonline.ag today to check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. Betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. Okay. Um, well, <laughs> that, uh, that, that game came at the end of my baseball career, my professional career. My, it was my last year in the major leagues, um, and I think that it's important to kind of set the context of where we were as a team uh, when that was going down. Um, we were in the process of rebuilding, but we were on the way, we were on the upswing. Um, that was the year where Jake Arietta became Jake Arietta. Uh, Anthony Rizzo became a superstar. Javi Baez made his major league debut. Um, we got to see Chris Bryant in spring training, and then Chris Bryant went out and just completely dominated the minor leagues. Uh, that season, uh, you saw the arrival of, or the kind of emergence of, of Pedro Strope, uh, who's unfortunately on the Reds now. Um, but everything started to come together, uh, a young group of people, uh, the right people around, and the, the team started winning by the end of the year. And I believe our, our game against the Rockies was like the battle for uh, not last place. Um, sorry. And... <laughs> And uh, that central station yeah. <laughs> vibrate over there. No, sorry. <laughs> that that uh, that night, um, you know, for for a lot of reasons, was particularly cool. At looking back on it now, and not just my part. I mean, I think first of all, and we'll get to this later, but um, you know, Edwin Jackson started that game for us, and, and I don't know how many people know, but he's one of the most beloved people in baseball. Um, everybody's favorite teammate, uh, a guy who after the murder of George Floyd was literally video of him marching in the streets of, of Phoenix. Um, you know, he's, Edwin's made a lot of money playing baseball and he doesn't have to leave uh, the house that he's earned, but he's the kind of guy that does that. I think that speaks to the power of what happened during that day. And, and so we played a game uh, against the Rockies we went into the 16th inning, and, and as the game was going on, uh, they had asked me about, I think in about the 10th or the 11th, I, I, uh, Hector Rondon was the closer. He was unavailable. They, no matter what, they were going to use him. They weren't going to use him. So we used everybody in the bullpen but Rondon. Um, and as the most expendable person, like if I got hurt, it didn't necessarily matter. Uh, we could have called up Rafael Lopez or somebody. He would have taken my place fine and been the backup. Um, I was slated to pitch when we ran out of pitchers, and I kind of knew um, – three or four innings before I ended up going in the game and it was going to happen. But, you know, you never expect that to actually happen. You, you think that 
you know, Rizzo will hit a home run or something, or something's going to happen. Someone, someone hit a ball in the gap, somebody will score. But, man, we were having trouble swinging the bats. And uh, by the by – the, I warmed up in the bottom of the 15th, um, and Lester Strode, our former bullpen coach, told me that I should take my thumb and put it on the side of the ball because I, I, could, get, I could get a lot of run. And I think the Brooks baseball, when I ended up pitching, said that I had, like, the, the biggest moving fastball. But part of that has to do with <laughs> – Gravity, I'm sure. It's um, all it's it's all the new pitch. It, you basically invented pitch lab, is what you're yeah, saying to exactly, us right yeah. now. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I I before I I understand science so well, Danny, that um, <laughs> that I knew I knew the pitch data before I was letting it go. That that it's it would natural. say, yeah, it would say the track man would tell me the the horizontal <laughs> movement was was so gargantuan that no one's going to be able to hit the ball hard. Uh, but honestly, what I did is I went out on the field, and this is the way that I've always explained it. There are two things happen. I walked out on that – well, three things, really. I walked out on the field, and I realized how close the hitter was, and that was scary as hell. Um, you know, like I'm used to wearing catcher's gear, so when you're in a mask, man, talk about masks. When you're in a mask, you, pre- you feel pretty fearless um, catching. You know, I've took plenty of foul balls off the head. It probably explains something. But when you're pitching, you don't have anything. Like I would have killed for one of those – you know, they were making those like giant helmets that the guys were pitching in for a while. Like I would have for sure worn that if we had one. Um, but that was that that freaked me out. Uh, and then the second thing I thought about was like, and, and if you ever hit 190, 192 in the major leagues, one thing you learn from that experience is that hitting is super hard. So, uh, and, and if you go to if you go to a Cubs game or you go to if, unfortunately if you have to go to a White Sox game, um, you'll and, and watch batting practice um, whenever gates open back up again in the future you realize that like guys are throwing 50 miles an hour in batting practice and are, and like the, the, literally the best guys in the world are like popping it up into the cage, like hitting grounders. And I've seen uh, a lot of great major league hitters from Mike Piazza to Frank Thomas to Barry Bonds take batting practice. Um, and I've seen him take bad batting practice, but then blame the pitcher. And so I thought when I was out on the mound, the final part of this, I thought, well, if I just throw horrible BP on the field right now <laughs> to major leaguers, like they're not going to get any hits. And if I throw it up and in every time, which was my, my goal the whole time. If I just throw it up and in, if they do hit it, it's going to be so slow that they're going to yank it foul or they're going to hit it on the ground pull side. And if I give up a home run, I give up a home run. I don't care. Uh, and, and, you know, usually in baseball, when you're on the field, you're doing something that you practiced a lot. Um, so it feels like second nature. So there's not, there's not as much thinking as one would think. You know, it's like, you know, you just stand out there in the field and somebody hits you the ball and you just catch it because you've catch, you caught 6,000 of those things before. But this was like being – this was like they took a fan off the – out of the stands and put him in a different place and said, hey, go do this one thing. You have a decent arm. You know, go throw on the field. Fine. So, yeah, standing out there on Wrigley Field and thinking like, <laughs> Ferguson Jenkins was on this mound. You know, I, I often thought that when I was hitting too, you know. I'm like, oh, look, this is where – it never – it still it, it still it still gets me every once in a while when I'm shagging BP or something or I'm coming in or um, go stand at home plate at Wrigley and go like, Oh, you remember this spot right here when like Babe Ruth stood over here and he pointed a left center field and called a shot? Or you think about home runs that Sammy Sosa hit or Glenn Allen Hill hitting the ball on the rooftops, Dave Kingman. Like there's so much, you know, there's so much history um, at Wrigley that, that in moments like that, when you feel like you're, um, uh, when you feel like you're out of place, you're really just like in this weird flow of history at Wrigley Field. And this was the 100th anniversary of, the, of, of Wrigley Field. So all of it was super crazy. The inning pitching wise went by super quick. Um, one pop up 
another pop-up, but Wellington Castillo, the catcher, was so tired he didn't even run after it, just fell behind him <laughs> like 15 feet. So I, I I blame that. I blame his lack of energy. I don't know where it went on uh, on Drew Stubbs walking. and then It, it really killed your whip. Yeah, it did. <laughs> that's, that's an overrated stat anyway. We have, we have far more advanced ones now. Um, so uh, Christian Adamas, and what I believe was his major league debut, <laughs> that this that he he walked into he got to be a part of history, grounded a double play we turned the double play, uh, came up to bat uh, to lead off the inning. Everyone knows you never you never walk the pitcher uh, and you never walk the pitcher to lead off an inning. That's terrible. Lead off walks will haunt you. They remind you of that on the scoreboard in Cincinnati every time I go to the yeah, game there. Um, and so, what people a lot of people don't know is that when I was batting, I hit a ground ball foul and I actually broke my bat. I didn't know. So not only was I struggling to hit, but I was up there with a broken bat and I still walked, which should tell everybody that anything's possible. Um, so I got on base, uh, moved to third on a base hit, I think, by Rizzo. And then Starlin Castro hit a, hit a sack fly. We scored the run. We had prearranged to, to do no celebration on the field. Now, usually when they walk off, everyone jumps up and down. But it's actually my idea in the dugout in like the 11th inning. I'm like, when we win this game, let's just run straight into the locker room. Let's get out of here. <laughs> and so if you watch, that's what we did. I come in, slide, I fist pump, and then we're just – I sprint straight in. And we go in, and then we got in, and it was like we won the World Series. It was the old locker room in Wrigley. We had had a really tough season, but things were kind of moving in the right direction. Um, I got carried through that locker room. I got everything imaginable from shampoo to beer to a gallon of milk poured on my head in the shower. Uh, I felt like I couldn't breathe a couple times. Um, but man, we had a we had an amazing we had we had just a an amazing time celebrating together. You know, something so crazy, something so weird, but it 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 brought internally with our team so much joy from uh, from that experience. And that's, that that reminds you know, baseball is so as we saw this year. When the when Major League Baseball and the MLBPA were trying to um, negotiate a deal, like it, it never it never hit me so much as it did this year. Like just how how business driven all this stuff is, you know. Like this is a game that that I learned when I was four years old. So when I'm playing, I'm still tied to those emotions. Um, I still feel like a child out there sometimes on the field, and that's why it hurts to make an out, uh, and that's why it feels so freaking good to get a hit. Um, so, but we lose sight of that as, as we get older and as we get jaded and, 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 you know, baseball is a, is a great, uh, it's a great place for complaining. Um, you I, know, I certainly lot, do a fair amount of it. <laughs> there's a lot of sitting around and it's not, it's in the locker room and it's in the stands and it's everywhere. It's, it's a place for us to like therapeutically air our grievances about all the bullshit we don't want to deal with. Even if we're getting paid millions of dollars and they're steak and lobster after the game, you know, we're still find something to complain about. And it was, it's moments like that where we stop complaining and we, and we actually really get to fully like actualize our, our being a child and playing a game that we learned as kids. And that's what I'll always remember. Well, is, like, look at that. There you are, you know, crossing home plate. You know, I, I just loved, I love this shot because it's just so, yeah, you do look like a kid, you know, like, like go, and there you are pitching now, what's going through your head there, John? Don't get hit in the face. <laughs> no, like that's really that is what was going through my head the whole time. Do you see Tanaka? John Carlos Stanton hit, hit a line drive off Tanaka's head earlier yeah. in their in their camp game. Like, come on, that's it is so close. Sixty feet is twenty yards. It is not far away. It is not far away, and you, it doesn't. It just doesn't feel 
Um, it doesn't, there's nothing like standing on the mound and looking at a guy with a bat being like, Oh my God. So look when, at this stupid glove I have. When's the last time you had pitched in a baseball game? Prof- like maybe not professionally ever, but <sighs> no, never school? professionally besides that. No, the last time I pitched in a baseball game was in the Cape Cod league. Um, because I, I, I went as a Swiss army knife player there and ended up sticking with the YD Red Sox after my freshman year of college. And they were like, hey, I heard you pitched in high school. I'm like, I could pitch. You know, <laughs> I'm trying to get on the field. Hey, do you play what other, what other positions you play? And I was like, actually, you know, I play all of them. So, like, I caught, uh, I caught there. I played left field. I had, I had a game where in the Cape League where I played left field. Just, no. I played first base maybe to start the game. And then I ended up in left field. And then um, I came into pitch an inning. And then after I pitched, I caught the rest of the game. And <laughs> This is like, I, I, I can remember leaving that game going like, I thought this was like the elite college baseball league where it was like supposed to be like pro ball, but we just played it like, uh, we just played it like a, a sandlot game uh, in my hometown of Walnut Creek. That's cool. Um, but that was the last time I had pitched. I actually gave up a home run to, uh, man, uh, Anthony Lunetta, shortstop from USC. It was a big prospect in college. Uh, he had a homer. Whitey's, Whitey's center field fence was really, was really short. So I think I had a 27 RERA in the, in the Cape League, but uh, a zero ERA in the show. In the majors, yeah. <laughs> well, you said that uh, it, they might as it was kind of felt like uh, taking a fan out of the stands, you know, that night. Well, luckily it wasn't me that they took out of the stands <laughs> because I this I was there that night and I I, I think I made it through about twelve innings. Uh, before I went outside, I'm a former smoker and I went outside for a cigarette out of the Captain Morgan's club. And at midnight, they shut it down unbeknownst to me. And I could not get back into the ballpark after midnight. So I believe that game ended around two in the morning. So I missed maybe the last four innings, five innings, something like that. And this pretty much sums up. I just kept, I, I went to every entrance of Wrigley trying to get back in. And the guy, they wouldn't let me for a few reasons. A, I had been drinking pretty much for five hours straight. And so, like, <laughs> if you can imagine, this photograph pretty much sums up. If you remember the old Billy Cub, he got a cease and desist order shortly after this photo was taken. And uh, that's me uh, outside of Wrigley that night. And then, um, you know, here's me shut out of Captain Morgan's that evening. I did take a picture of me not getting in. And uh, here's here's one of the gentlemen that would not let me back in the ballpark. And as you can tell by the look on my face, uh, maybe you wouldn't let me into your ballpark either. So um, anyway, I woke up the next morning and uh, just had this idea in my head. I had a bit of a hangover. I was going to get on a plane later in the day because you guys were heading off to um, uh, Los Angeles. I believe right after this, and th- you went to LA, and then you went to Colorado, where Javi made his debut. Just yeah. maybe a week after this, early August, yeah. a- and so I was heading off to Los Angeles to see some friends and catch a couple Cubs games out there as well. Woke up, grabbed my guitar, E minor, night the backup catcher got the win. Started singing this song because I thought, oh, I looked it up. Oh, has this ever happened before? Couldn't find that it had. I'm like, that's really fun. So I wrote a song. Not necessarily about you, but about me getting kicked out of Wrigley and not yeah. being able to get back into the ballpark because <laughs> I was too drunk. So um, anyway, we I believe your father, who is also a former player himself, yeah. I believe he found the song. I'm not sure how you how it ended up in your hands, but that's a story I tell everybody that he found it somehow. Maybe you were tagged in the video or something. And um, do you remember how you found the song? 
my my dad and my brother um you know my brother used to live in in andersonville um he, he studied uh, trombone in graduate school at northwestern so played played in orchestra iowa and played a lot of music sam cockerel band out here in chicago so they uh much more at the time i think socially media social media savvy than i was um they they found it they brought it they they brought it to my attention i don't even remember how we connected yeah, it was, a, and then I saw you at a at Cubs convention. Uh, I believe later that year because we had I don't know Twitter. I think we got together Twitter. on Twitter. So, and then I and then Corey and I were sitting there at Cubs convention, and he said, and "I said hey, I'm going to go say hi to John Baker and be like, hey, what's up?" And uh, and we were talking, Corey, you and I said, "Hey, maybe we should throw a party." Just let's celebrate that weird night of baseball at Wrigley Field, the longest game in history, backup catcher getting the win. Like, you know, John's back. I believe you had just come back with the team uh, yeah. working as the mental skills coordinator or with uh, – uh, who were you? Who was the head of the department at that point? So at that point we had – Josh Lifrak was the head of the department. We had Ken Revisa with Ken Joe Revisa. Madden. But I came back that first year um, in the front office in baseball operations learning about – the other side of baseball. So I hadn't taken that fully taken that path yet, but I was starting to do some mentorship stuff. But my, my official title was I was baseball operations assistant. Okay. And so we connected, we end up throwing the party. Uh, we, we have a great time. I, I guess got to show this picture of, of us at the first John Baker day out in the stands, the Cubs, this is 2016. And if you remember what happened that year, the first John Baker day is also the first world series championship in 108 <laughs> years too. So I don't think that's a coincidence people, but look at that score up there. Uh, look at all those crooked numbers. You look at this, the six run sixth. Oh man. I'll take that all, all the days of the week. And, um, and of course, I think, I think Rossi homered in that game too. I I think everybody homered in that game. Look at those. Good, yeah, that was beautiful. I feel, like, I feel like I remember the the backup catcher homered in the in the backup catcher game. I, be, I believe no, that might, is correct. I, yeah. I I believe you're absolutely right. And uh, and oh, and now you're back with the team. You've you've got a, a more expanded role. You're the mental skills coordinator for the group. Do you want to kind of explain what that is? You're also an umpire. An umpire, yeah. So I do anything that they ask. Generally, I just say yes. The other day, I was our bullpen catcher had to get a root canal, so I was bullpen catcher in one of our in one of our games. Um, no, I get to uh, you know I, I'm almost finished with the graduate program in performance psychology. Um, so basically, a, a big part of my job is I take uh, things that are you know empirically researched and supported, and then I translate them into baseball language, and I convince really stubborn people. Um, you know, baseball players, a lot of times just where they already do the thing um, and kind of point it out to them so we can help them realize why they're good. But I answer questions. I listen to complaints. Uh, I spend time with our, with our guys. I talk to, I kind of work with everybody in that entire place. Might be, it might be we need to get somebody in the weight room and, and uh, they're resistant because they don't want to do something. And so that's a conversation I may have. Um, but yeah, mental skills is an, is an interesting uh, thing I think it's really low hanging fruit for in a lot of in a lot of ways. You know, if you look at what what the research suggests that fifty percent of performance fluctuations at the elite level when competition is equal are psychological in nature, but we don't have a lot of time to practice those things. Um, and so I'm trying to change the narrative about that kind of stuff uh, and, and and really take all because there's a lot of great stuff out there. Take it, translate it into baseball, and then give it to these guys who I really care about because you know, man, most of them. Uh, on our team, I've known 
since before they were stars. You know, like I can remember, I always think about like, um, you know, I played played in the Dominican Republic with Anthony Rizzo when he was a farmhand for the for the San Diego Padres, and then I got to play with him again in 2014 when he was an emerging star. And now I and now I get to spend time with him, and we talk about how like he went from that like <laughs> idiot child that I met, you know, like baby Huey hitting homers, to um, <laughs> a guy that I kind of feel like. I, wouldn't it be nice to see him wear a captaincy on his chest? You know, coming back from the ankle injury last year, uh, the things that he's done from the organization as a player, the things that he does in the community, it's just really cool for me to see him grow up. Uh, and, and I've been at different stages of his career. I was there the day, like you said, the day that Javi Baez got to the big leagues when uh, he, was a, he was a little bit fatter and, and had less tattoos, uh, but he was always special. Um, and, and seeing him mature into the kind of team leader also that he is now and spending time with Wilson Contreras in the minor leagues before he got called up and seeing what he's become, a guy I'll never forget, uh, being able to hug him on the field during the World Series when he was starting, um, I think it was game four uh, of the World Series. We got to go out on the field. Um, they announced like all the player development staff and stuff. And I got to hug Wilson before he started a World Series game. And we had spent you know, quite a few of my visits in 2016 were specifically to go spend time with him. So, uh, you know, so many of these guys, Kyle Hendricks, who's our opening day starter, I caught his major league debut. Uh, and I get to see uh, these people mature and become superstars, and I get to support them with the stuff that I'm learning about. I mean, it's it's really is a dream job for me. That's beautiful. And it, the, the other thing that I think is beautiful is that we've kind of turned, uh, like, this event that we've thrown every single year into, you know, as we mentioned earlier, Corey kind of listed off some of the places that we've raised. Uh, I think what now it's like 20, over $20,000 at least for these different uh, organizations. And this year when I asked you, because every year we're, we kind of like do something different or it has been. And, um, you know, this year I asked you, hey, John, you know, obviously it's a weird year. What the hell are we going to do? I don't know if we can throw a party. I don't know what we're going to do. Uh, maybe we do a telethon like old Jerry Lewis show. I'm like, what do you want to, uh, what, what do you want to um, benefit this year? And you just without hesitation said black lives matter because of everything that's going on. And the, the fact that, you know, th- this seems to be a year that not only are we, uh, you, are we suffering through a pandemic and a, a lot of, uh, you know, kind of financial pain out there for people, but also it's brought up a lot of very important, long-standing, um, I guess, societal flaws that uh, have not been reconciled or dealt with uh, over the past, uh, what, four or five hundred years, I believe, is kind of where you can add where you can we can trace it back to maybe with our culture. And um, so we decided that we wanted to do uh, something about racial justice. And so uh, this year we decided to celebrate the history of black baseball in Chicago. And Corey, you want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, what we're going to do there? Yeah. So basically uh, we're going to have, and we'll share more information uh, at the end of this video as far as the dates go, but we're breaking this up into three separate uh, events, I guess. And so we're going to celebrate the history of black baseball in Chicago in the past in the present and in the future. And, and like you mentioned, Danny, I mean, John, I, I was like thrilled to hear that this is what you wanted to do with this event because, you know, leading up to it, I thought, 
man, there's so much going on in the world right now between, you know, there's no baseball. So that makes it weird. You have COVID and then you have just, you know, the, the issues like Danny mentioned, the, these racial injustice issues that go back centuries. Um, and so how do you throw a party in with, with, um, you know, kind of what our society is going through right now. And so when Danny told me that this is what you wanted to do, I was ecstatic. Um, and so maybe you could kind of explain why that was top of mind for you and, and why that's what you wanted to do with this this year. Well, I mean, I think that um, a couple of reasons why it was top of mind, uh, but mainly um, all these people that have died, it, it, it gets, if I think it finally hit a tipping point with George Floyd um, and I know that there's a lot of ter- terrible things about about what social media does to us, but it seems to have accelerated the 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 public awareness of these issues, you know. And um, knowing the history of Chicago uh, and baseball in Chicago, knowing that that Cap Anson um, refused would refuse to take Wrigley Field if there was a black player, um, that's the history of the team that I work for, uh, and. When you look around, uh, when you look at the history of baseball, it, it gets really kind of sad and disgusting, uh, and it and it it follows uh, it follows and supports uh, racist policy. Uh, I talk about we can talk about how um, we've devalued. You know, the best players in the history of, of Major League Baseball are black: uh, Barry Bonds, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, uh, Chicago, Ernie Banks, um, and we're seeing such a low percentage of, of black players in the game now, um, lower than one would expect based on kind of demographics. But a big part of that is that, you know, we used to have real programs within the cities to support those communities. Um, but 30 years ago, we realized that teams realized that they could go to Latin America and they could buy, they could buy talent for cheaper. And so uh, a segment of the American population kind of got cut off from access to equipment and baseball and, and as a result, 30 years later, the, the percentages and the numbers are down, uh, less representation. I think there's two black managers. Maybe there's one GM or two. I'm not sure. Uh, but the numbers are definitely skewed. Uh, and it's just unacceptable. Uh, and our, it's not just me that's, that's saying these things. Our, our organization, Theo Epstein, has said the same things. You know, he it was the first time I've ever heard it. You know, we talked about uh, the first day here of summer camp. We talked about the um, there's one, there was two pandemics. Uh, the first pandemic was COVID-19. The second pandemic is systemic racism. And it's time for us to use our platform to do whatever we can about it. And this was after Danny and I had talked about me wanting to do this, but I just went to educate myself. I mean, our organization is so cool that on Juneteenth this year, um, our, the, our, our, I don't know what Julian Green's actual title is, but like head of PR or something, but he got, uh, we had a zoom call with Jesse Jackson. Um, and we got to hear, he, he told, he told the story of racism in the United States, but he told it within baseball stories for us. It was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had, um, to be able to have that kind of access to that person. And, and it was just, it was inspiring for me as a kid who, um, I think one of the things I've recognized personally through this experience is that the way that I grew up was, was charmed, right? Um, you know, I, I think about something like a word like privilege really rings true for me in my life. Um, and when I say privilege, what I mean is like, I did definitely didn't get everything that I wanted as a kid, but I never worried ever once in my life as a child that I wouldn't have something that I needed. Um, and when you grow up with that opportunity, 
um, you're blind to the, the rest of the things that go on. And you, and you want to say, I grew up in California. So you want to say that you grew up, oh, I don't see race. I don't see color. But in not seeing race uh, and not understanding what's happening, you also don't see, you're also blinded to the policies and the systems that are in place that have, that have, that have like le- legitimately targeted a certain population to, to keep access from wealth for them. I mean, you can go back to the Federal Housing Authority and, hey, you can build these houses in the suburbs as long as you don't sell them to black people or resell them to black people. And now it's 100 years later and, and you've, got, um, you've got those houses that, they were, that were, that were $10,000 are now worth $800,000, $900,000 as, as how you build wealth uh, uh, and, and keep it in keep it within one community. And, and I think about the difference in Chicago between the north side and the south side. Um, it, we, we like to, we like to, people like to say that it's a, it's a, it's a right racial difference. It's a financial difference. Um, and, and, and it's a, and it's a problem that it's, that it's not fair. And we've always been, I think the Cubs have always benefited from uh, the white support in this area. And they're, we're thankful, obviously, for having fans that want to pay tickets and show up to the field even when the team's bad, like Mr. Wrigley said. You know, you build a beautiful place and serve beer and people will show up. I mean, Danny knows he was coming to the – you guys were coming to games when when, when we weren't going to win. You know, like when it was like literally not expected once, for us Once to again, win. there's there's a there shot that evening, yeah. <laughs> you were trying to get back into the game when for some reason when we were so bad we were not we were, that we were so bad we, we, were, we were running a, we're running the backup catcher out to pitch in the game and you still want to go so we we're so blessed to have uh that kind of support so taking all those things into consideration and realizing that this is what i think this is this day has become a, a, about you know last year the um last year the reality i had to face uh in my role was working through domestic violence that is not a place that is not a that is not a rock that many people pick up and look underneath um and so in going through that experience i thought my god what can we do to support women in chicago that have to deal with this uh and then this year i think again the the tipping point and it shouldn't have been the tipping point the shipping tipping point should have been trayvon martin or something right but the tipping point really for me was was watching that video of george floyd um and thinking like about how lucky I was to have all the privilege that I have in my life and, and, and then saying, okay, I accept that. I, there's nothing I can do about the past anymore. But what I can do when I do have the opportunity is to do something positive now so that hopefully it makes a better future. That's it. You know, we, can, we have to acknowledge where we've come from. And that's why I love this kind of three-part idea of, of talking about the past, talking about what's happening now, but then promoting, uh, spending time with, and helping the people like Levante who we're going to bring on that are helping the kids in the future. That's, 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 we need to make it better for them or we need to grease the pathway for them. Like it was greased for me. Back, back, sports, back. And so is your chance to bet on them with our exclusive wagering partner, betonline.ag. Major League Baseball is in full swing, and there is no shortage of ways to get in on the action. You see, betonline.ag has all the odds, futures, and props for you to bet on. So do it. Also, got to tune in. Floyd Money Mayweather joining the Bet Online team in a new segment called The Ice is Right. And he's going to talk about his expensive jewelry collection. He'll give you the chance to win some great prizes and bet on the cost of his bling. 
Visit betonline.ag today and check out all the odds and up-to-date sports news. Don't forget to sign up and take advantage of all the welcome back to sports bonuses. So go to betonline.ag, your online wagering experts. They sponsor this podcast and we thank them. Betonline.ag. Hey guys, uh, you ever shave your balls? I mean, you know, sure you have. I mean, why not? Make them nice and smooth. Well, let me tell you how. You got to join Manscaped. They got the lawnmower, the Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0. It's a premium electric trimmer. It's designed to give you a confidence boost through your body image. So they got the ceramic blade and skin safe technology, and it's designed to reduce nicks or tugs on your fellas down below, below. So you got the Lawnmower 3.0. It's waterproof, comes with an LED light. You can manscape in the shower, in the dark, or even in a dark shower. Whatever you want to do. They also just released their Shears 2.0 nail kit, which is the perfect add-on to the Lawnmower 3.0 trimmer. See, the Shears is a luxury four-piece nail kit featuring tempered stainless steel tools, and it includes tipped tweezers, rounded point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. See, the Shears 2.0 nail kit allows you to pluck your eyebrows and trim your nails in style. Now, on their website, you also find the Crop Preserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer. And you know you need it because you got that summer swamp ass going on. Uh, You got that, uh, you know, the uh, natural hydrators and antioxidants in the Crop Preserver. So you want to use that. You'll also find the Crop Reviver. A testy toner that's like having cologne that is designed for your balls. Now, we won't judge you if we catch you sniffing your own balls, but I will be impressed by your flexibility. Now, go to manscaped.com and check out some of these life-changing products. What you got to do to get 20% off right now, plus free shipping, is use the promo code armchair at manscaped.com. 20% off, free shipping, manscaped.com. Use promo code armchair. It's time to grab 2020 by the horns and shave that front trunk and we thank you manscape for sponsoring the sun ranto show and and i guess i should mention that we're we will have on from the negro league baseball museum uh bob kendrick is going to be on and we're going to have a conversation with him uh we'll be releasing that sometime in the future so really john baker day is kind of turning into john baker m- month year century <laughs> but, yeah uh, but just, it's just going to be jbd it's it, then we're just going to you know it's going to take on a life of its own is what we're hoping that we're going to be a butterfly flap its wings but we're going to have bob kendrick on who's one of the smartest dudes i've ever met one of the nicest guys i've ever met and he works at the negro league baseball museum out in kansas city and uh you know once you get him talking about stuff he knows about and it's hours later and, and uh, you basically have a new friend for life. He's great. And we're going to have him on um, also going to be on the show. And I know a lot of Cub fans know him because he worked for NBC sports. He currently works for marquee and he played for the Cubs. Doug Glanville is, is also going to be on. And um, John, for the future, you, you kind of talked to because uh, we didn't really know what we were, we were definitely having Levante on, but uh, Will Venable, you suggested as being somebody to, to have on that's been a part of the conversations that the Cubs have been having uh, within the, uh, the, the team about uh, anti-racism training. So uh, those are going to be the three. So we're going to past, present, future. And Levante is definitely going to be part of the future question. Um, 
one of the things that we're going to do uh, is we're going to not only uh, try to get a an anti-racism campaign going from a fan perspective and things that fans can do to be actively anti-racist, but we're also going to try to raise money. Um, one of the things we're going to have is a few obvious shirts. Uh, we have one of them I can show you right now. I think this is really cool. Um, Joe from obvious, you know, obviously, obviously a, a great t-shirt <laughs> designer. Yeah. And, um, so we're going to have those for sale, uh, like right now, uh, as you're watching this. And, uh, we're really excited about, about that. That's one of the things we'll be doing. Um, but anything else you want to add about, uh, why you wanted to have these conversations? Well, I think that, you know, a lot of us and, and knowing the demographic and the fan base in this area, I think that a lot of us. Uh, a lot of people might be might have the same experience as me as a kid. And so I think, you know, as a mental skills coach, um, you know, we, we kind of really buy into the stoic idea that the only way to growth is, is through discomfort. Um, you know, you're, you're performing at a certain level and you want to get to the next level. The way to get to the next level is never a downhill slide. It's always going through some sort of trial, challenge or tribulation. And I think for a lot of people right now, just hearing this information um, having this conversation, uh, getting some resources to be able to educate themselves on the history, but then also find a way to actually make a measurable change or, or align ourselves with organizations that are making change within our surrounding community. Um, rather than sending things up to some national level thing, find a place, find a thing that's close to you and, you know, tend your yard uh, and, and do your best, do the best that you can to give, to support, um, and to amplify the voices of people that need amplification in, in, in these moments. And that's why, you know, Danny, when you, when you, when you brought me um, the Lost Boys Inc. and I went and looked on the website and I saw what they're all about, how it's not just about baseball, um, it, it became really easy for me to say that, well, this is, this is who we need to support because this is, this, is hitting every, this is hitting everything for us. And let's have these conversations so that the people that follow the Cubs, that love the Cubs, can find themselves more educated, you know? And when I said, when I talked earlier about the the different percentages of, of people in, in baseball, Will Venable is going to be a manager or he's going to run an organization. Um, I, I, I wholeheartedly believe that um, he's, he's bright. Uh, he, he's passionate about what he's doing. His dad was a longtime major leaguer and minor league baseball coach. Um, and he's just constantly getting better and he's constantly looking around and th seeing how things could improve. And he's having the conversation about, well, if I was in charge, this is what I would do. And so I really see him as a big figure in the future of baseball, uh, which is why I wanted to invite him to, to, to take part in this conversation. Well, cool. I guess, uh, we should, I, I, we've already brought up Levante twice and he's here and he's been waiting in the wings, uh, and he just fed his entire family dinner and so I think it's about time we should bring him on and, and, um, and meet the man who runs the Lost Boys, and um, he can tell us all about what the Lost Boys are about. So, Levante, can you hear us? That's Absolutely. Danny, can you hear me? We can, and I, I really like your hat. We can't, we can't quite see it, but it's... it's <laughs> I, I got to get situated, but uh, it's what you gifted me today, yeah. and uh, so it's for oh, John man. Baker Day. Yeah, I had to rock it tonight, baby. I'm going to be wearing this all week. And uh, so first thing I wanted to do, hey, Corey, I wanted to, uh, you talked about Bob Kendrick, the guys I've noticed on Twitter, they had something going. You know, I think it's the 100th anniversary. So mm -hmm. nod to the Negro Leagues, 
with the John yeah. Baker Day hat. Right. Yeah, right. There it is. I, yeah. I can do that That's too. Awesome. Oh no, my! Now I just showed everybody my terrible hair. <laughs> That's okay, Danny. I think we got a club going, man. <laughs> Well, so Levante, I came down today. Uh, down what's what's the park that I met you at? Was the name of that park? Rosenblum. Yeah, very very nice park. Uh, is it right across the street from a school? Uh, it had it had some nice facilities you're working at, and I I did shoot a few pictures. Uh, your game got canceled today, but um, you had a practice, and you had some of the guys out there. Uh, just shot a few shots here of. What's good of what you guys you had thrown thrown some BP tossing it around the the uh, game became a practice and what I re- what really caught my eye when I came back and looked at these pictures was that um, this gentleman throwing batting practice is wearing a catcher's mitt which <laughs> I thought was pretty perfect for this event. Um, Coach just so. Uh, so tell could you please tell us about uh, the Lost Boys and and the, the some of the guys I met today and I talked to and and what your mission is with your organization? Yeah, absolutely. But first, let me let me compliment uh, all three of you gentlemen. You know, I've been in the green room listening to the show, and it's just been amazing. I'm sitting here. I'm in my basement. I'm I'm just pumped. I'm fired up listening to uh, what's coming from Coach Baker, what's coming from you, what's coming from Corey just, you know, and what's emerging in, in the Twitterverse around social justice and racial equality and sports and using our platforms and not just shutting up and swinging at the pitch or pitching the ball, but using those platforms to improve not only our city but and our state, but our country, but maybe this world. So I'm, I'm really pumped up with where we're going. But let me go ahead and kind of tell you guys a little about uh, Lost Boys. <clears throat> So, me, myself, you know, I was a mediocre ball player, played college ball, uh, pop gun arm, lefty, stuck pretty much in the outfield, uh, but I worked, I grind like coach said, and so I always worked to get better where I wasn't really talented or God gifted uh, in those areas, so I would work with my teammates, you know, first guy practice, last guy out, to get better so that I could contribute to the team, so naturally, Wanting to co- coach was the next step because I'm, I'm very strategic. Um, you know, I lean towards school. I've always been kind of a smart kid. So I love data, like Coach uh, Baker was talking about earlier, and uh, numbers and so analysis, all of the things he was talking about, I was getting, like, really excited. So, um, you know, coaching, I'm like, hey, I can bring a lot of my skills to this, and then I can still do something I love. At that time, I was kind of looking at it as failure because as a young guy in college, I got caught up with taking like that Chicago, that South side mentality to college. So, you know, instead of just going to class and playing sports, you know, I'm, I'm chasing all of the local ladies. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be Pablo Escobar in somebody else's city. I'm doing everything but school. <laughs> right. So it's like my parents were totally like, in, you know, embarrassed with that stuff. But anyway, I came back and uh, as an adult, you know, um, as coach said, coming over my own trials and tribulations, knowing that I had a pretty decent setup, I would call myself, uh, with even in my own culture, privileged, because I grew up black middle class. So two-parent home, Roman Catholic, all Catholic schools. My brother and sister are Ivy League graduates. So I had everything that a, a boy could want on the South Side, but I got caught up in my environment. 
right? So that played a big part in creating Lost Boys one day. So anyway, I started coaching in the local league that uh, was defunct. It had served us as children, South Shore Little League, where I'm from. And so after about three years coaching, uh, the gentleman that was running it, that started it back up, he folded the league. You know, we didn't really know why. Um, so I was getting ready to tell my my team, my 12-year-old, my 11 and 12-year-olds, uh, hey, you know, guys, this is not going to be a league anymore. I can get you over to a district league, mate, so we can get you to Jackie Robinson West or Southside Little League or Eastside. And so while I'm in the middle of, you know, dismissing this stuff with these kids and getting ready to kind of put this chapter of life away, um, we experienced like one of the most, you know, what I thought would be a really traumatic experience for them, but it didn't turn out that way. So it's middle of the afternoon in the summer, and I got like two guys chasing another guy across the field, you know, and they got their guns out. Well, really quickly, let me tell you, the history of Rosenblum Park, it wasn't as beautiful as you see now. That just happened about seven years ago. It was a war zone, and that beautiful new multi-million dollar international high school wasn't there. So we had the old South Shore High School designed by the same architect that designed Cook County Jail. So go figure what it was going to turn into. It became one of the most notorious high schools in Chicago in the 90s. And I ended up there out of the Catholic system from De La Salle because of behavior. So I get over there and I, it's totally opposite. I'm in a war zone. That park in itself, you got four sides. Everything was opposite. Fields were flipped opposite from what you saw today, Danny. And the school was where we were standing. There were two school buildings there. So you had those four sides of that. It's, you know, you saw how big, how much space it occupies in terms of square mileage. So on each side, I kid you guys not, you had a gang every day. And in the park were the old metal garbage cans. Under those were the guns. So on any given day, you could get shot in that park, whether you were on the football team, the baseball team. I remember a baseball game. The, uh, I think it was Kenwood or somebody. They, they had to come and play us, and they got off the bus, and something happened with students from our school. Next thing we know, the team got jumped in, the coaches. So, you know, I, all of that was flat running through my mind in that park. And so I, it was kind of an epiphany. Two things happened, right? One, I really saw or thought about how I got off of track. And I thought, like, some of these kids didn't even have the start I had. So I know why they're ending up, you know, um, where they are in life at that point. At that point, I was talking about the, the desensitization. They, they were desensitized to violence. Because they were laughing and taking bets. And I was down in the dirt, head under the dirt, praying for Jesus. And they weren't, right? And so it really hit me at that moment, like, oh, my God, what did I do? What was my part of it? I came from the boys in the hood generation. So, you know, what did I do with this? And so I said, you know, I didn't like any of that stuff in my life when I did it. You know, I, I faked it to make it for the most part. Eventually you get caught up. But you know, at some point I was like, that that really wasn't who I was. I was trying to survive and get along and all these things. And so a lot of these kids are going to do it, too. And so I said, you know what? The thing that I, that kept coming back to me that always bailed me out of my trouble was my love of sport and the coaches, man. You know, coaches were those next level dads. Right. My dad was not a sports dude. You know, so just imagine I grew up with a public school, Democratic mother and more of a corporate Republican father. Can you imagine that in a black household on the south side of Chicago? <laughs> I was confused as, you know, some words Corey might have to bleep here, but actually it made me really well-rounded, right? Because I don't lean to just one side. I kind of see both. 
And so anyway, um, I just took all of that, man, like a nice stew. And I said, you know what? I made a lot of bad decisions when I was younger, things that I should have told, said no to or told people don't do or don't be a part of. I didn't make that right decision. I made the wrong choices. Now God has given me a second chance at things. I'm going to make the right choices. So with those kids, I said, hey, you know what? Never mind. We're going to keep playing. Well, we'll have to have a new team name. So, yeah, you know, we'll start with the Negro League. We'll be the Black Yankees and we'll barnstorm. I think what popped into my mind was one of my uh, favorite movies with, with Billy D. Williams, Bingo Long and the Traveling All-Stars. So that oh, was yeah. one of the movies that I fell in love with baseball as a kid because you just saw the game, the love of the game, the diversity of the game as they traveled the country. But also we were dealing with, even at a young age, I was beginning to recognize what this black skin meant coming around this country at that time, right? I didn't really see that growing up. I didn't understand racism growing up. So I'm not going to tell you, oh, yeah, Chicago is just crazy racist. You know, it's segregated. It has its issues like most cities. But at, in the 80s and the 90s, initially, I didn't directly. It wasn't overt in your face. Um, so anyway, let me kind of get back to that. So we started barnstorming for a year as the Black Yankees. And then I started getting into, all right, how do I raise money to pay for uniforms? Because I'm going in local stores. I'm in the you know, the, the grocery store, and they were really nice people because um, me and my wife were, were regular customers. And, you know, I grew up in the community. So the guy, you know, donated me some some black Yankee hats that he was selling, you know, in the store, the NY. And I'm like, these are perfect. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, we got some some gray pants, I think, from like pitching for baseball. My, my guy, David Rhodes, out in, in Pennsylvania. And uh, we just pieced it together. And so I started looking like, how do I get money? How do I get money? And so like everybody, I said, well, you get grants. So I started looking at grants and it says, well, you got to be a nonprofit. You got to have a tax exemption. So I said, OK, let's go. So I started going down these rabbit holes and one rabbit hole took me down another rabbit hole. And then it took me down another rabbit hole and then another rabbit hole. But how great God is and how great baseball is, all of those rabbit holes connected. I didn't know it then, but it allowed me to develop my skill sets, a diversified set of skills and then apply them all. And so now at this point where I'm at in my life. I'm able to use every skill I've ever developed, whether from college, high school, or my own learning. I'm using it in Lost Boys, whether it's tech, whether it's organizing, grant writing, business management, human resources and personnel management, policy, whatever, you know. Um, so anyway, back then, I didn't have all those skills. I was, you know, 20-something years old, kind of a few years home. Well, about, yeah, about that point, I was about 30, uh, 31. And so, you know, just home from prison out of Missouri, like four or five years from when in my in my 20s doing stupid stuff in college. And uh, so, yeah, I started writing for the tax exemption and it challenged me and said, what's your mission? I said, what's your mission? But, the, you know, paper doesn't talk back. So I said, OK, you got to come up with a mission. So, <laughs> my mission is to get some money, man. What was your mission? I just want to buy some uniforms. But I couldn't say that. My mission is to buy some uniforms. And so the mission wasn't just to put kids in. It, well, eventually, initially, it started off with, you know, creating like a, a local league again. So I was trying to bring back what the guy let go. And um, over the years, as we continued to move forward, what I found to be the biggest challenge was nobody was hand over fist funding youth sports leagues, especially little league. It is quintessentially done by the community, right? 
That is why it's 100% volunteer driven and, you know, the community contributors into it. So as I began to look at that, I said, oh, boy, we're in trouble because we've got these issues going on in the community. Right. I've got most of the stores aren't willing to donate. I've got residents who aren't willing to help organize uh, or they maybe don't even have the ability to financially contribute like maybe some other communities. Right. When you're looking at a community where the median household income is at that time, like maybe twenty one thousand. And compared to, you know, you look at maybe up in Lincoln Park somewhere where it's like maybe 54,000, right? So people are barely surviving, man, with, you know, heck, even a family with 30,000. If the breadwinner is making 30K, that's nothing. You know, that's a hard life. So um, I started looking at what the barriers were. And so eventually it led me to look at some other things too, while I was in the coaching. I mean, we're still grinding, trying to get money. Um, we started finding some support, but then I saw an opportunity to do something different with the platform, with the game that I love with, you know, this is the first sport my mom put me in. My dad didn't put me in sports. My mom put me in sports. The first day I showed up to baseball practice, I had on a game uniform for a practice. So I stuck out like a sore thumb. I was a left hand. I'm lefty. My mom bought me a left, a, 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 you know, a mitt for a righty. So I'm putting the mitt on my left hand. I'm out in the outfield. The ball comes. It drops. I'm thinking this is how the game is played. You take my glove off, throw the ball, put it back on. But then I'm looking at everybody else, and they're not doing that. And I'm like, Mom. And they got special shoes, and I got on a uniform. <laughs> yeah, but all of those things made me love the game, right? And it helped, it was some things, some connections with me and Mom. And whenever I looked up in the stands, even, you know, when I played semi-pro baseball, Mom was, you know, in, in, in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. I looked up in the stands and, you know, there's mom. So, you know, also my connection to sports is because of my relationship with my mother. And so I just put all of that into what we were doing. And I said, you know what? Um, there was a lot I got out of baseball. Uh, what I got from with my teammates, uh, what I got from with my coaches. And so I just started thinking about all of that stuff. and. From there, we kind of really grew out who we are now. You know, it continued. There was an uh, an iteration of who we are, but we evolved into what I didn't know then, I know now, to be called a sports-based youth development-driven organization. So that is the model, the social scientific model that we use, which is based on uh, and derives from PYD, which is Positive Youth Development, and DST, Developmental Systems Theories. So I started taking all these academic theories and looking at behavior. I started looking at behavior because I had kids coming to practice. They're arguing. They can't focus. They, you know, so it's a lot of things I can't coach because I got two kids steady bickering in the dugout. And it's like intensifying to a level that's not it doesn't make sense for what the argument is about. Right. So I'm like, wait a minute. This kid is really pissed off about something else. And he's just taking it out on his teammate because he, you know, this is somebody he can yell at. Right. So he can take it to an intensive level. Whoever he really wants to yell at, he's not in a position in, in, in a, a power relationship to do so. So now he's in a position in a power relationship to do so. So I started studying behavior. And so then we started, you know, it, it really started kind of coming out what our approach was going to be. And it's really simple. Three prong mantra, recreate, educate, cultivate children. And so everything we do, we do revolves around those three points because the strongest structure is a triangle. So we're giving them that. They got organized recreation in baseball where they're training, they can competitively play, 
they're almost getting a travel program, except they're not getting the the level of travel coaching, right? Because most of us in, in my league are not former collegiate players or pro players or the people that typically, you know, put together really nice travel programs, uh, more elite programs. But they get to travel outside the neighborhood. They get to play, you know, teams all over the place. Melrose Park, you know, we're all in Indiana, so we're all over the place. They're not stuck like a local league, you know, like a house league. They're house-type teams, but they get to travel, right? Um, so they're not, they're not limited because of their ability or inability, and they're not limited because of their resources or lack thereof resources, um, so that was really critical, getting them out the neighborhood, letting them see the beauty of this game and see all the different teams, white, Hispanic, Asian. I want to play everybody. I want you to see everybody. I want you to make new friends and meet people. I want you to see how other cultures play the game because I tell you, I love to watch Latin Americans play this game. Mm-hmm. I ain't even going to lie. I love to watch them play this game. Um, so, you know, it, it became that. And so civic engagement became really important. Cultural enrichment became really uh, important. Academics, of course, are very important because if you're not performing in school, you can't play. Most parents are going to support that and coaches going to support mom. And if, you know, I got 10 players on the team, I need you here. So I need you to pass at school, not just to play, but I need you to do it for yourself. Um, And then there's the informal academic stuff, right? So taking them to museums, exposing them to the rich history of Chicago and of just our country. Um, and through civic engagement, we're getting them very involved in their community. They're learning about all types of stuff. They're learning about politics. We're talking about social issues and challenges that impact us. And then that leads to service learning, where they then take everything they learned in civic engagement and they apply it in some kind of meaningful project that their community can benefit from or another community. Right. So if we learn or we talk about in civic engagement about maybe, you know, a group that's struggling or something that's happening, we may do a project that positively impacts that group, right? So it's all about empathy and compassion. And I think, you know, sidebar is, I think that's what's finally happening to a large part of this country right now is, I don't know why, I'm like Coach Baker, it should have happened alone. It should have happened with Emmett Till, Mm -hmm. but it didn't, right? We can go that far back. Uh, But Something about George Floyd, it reached a lot of Americans, a lot of human beings. It was so, to me, symbolic of what that struggle and oppression for Black people has been like in America, right? A knee on his neck, suffocating him, while the perpetrator poses for the camera, is pleaded for this person's life by bystanders and his compatriots are in cahoots with it because nobody stops him and says, hey, man, you're choking that guy. He just peed on himself. I mean, I don't think anybody could take that anymore. And it was just in our face, America. And I think it was a serious critical turning point. And it's like, if we don't do something now, if we don't show up right now, then this country is just doomed because that's saying And it's not just about police. It's just about saying in general that one group can dominate and do something to another group with impunity in this country. And that is not what it should be about. Uh, And I'm sorry I digress, guys. I know I jumped off of who is Lost Boys and how we started. But 
Uh, Coach got me fired up earlier. I just, I, I'm loving hearing <laughs> where he's at. And Lost Boys, we've been getting a lot of love from Chicago Cubs and Cubs charities. Uh, Danny, I, I sent you a couple yeah, of I, pictures. Yeah, I got him. I got him. Yeah, so we're, yeah, we're hanging out. out and, yeah, with Coach. Yes. Uh, that was right. I think at the time of the announcement, this was back early, beginning the, of the The spring. second most famous backup catcher in Cubs history. <laughs> <laughs> David Ross, and uh, and here you are with uh, Anthony Rizzo, who was on that 2014 team, played in that job, yes. the famous John Baker game. Um, no, and I, I love I, everybody should go to your website, and I'll I'll put it up real quick just uh, so people can see because you can donate. You don't have to. We're going to do a lot of things, varied things. I've got other uh, other Cubs blogs and organizations that are going to help us try to raise money uh, for Lost Boys to, to keep you guys in uniforms. Because you've come a long way since uniforms. You're now actually you're uh, a steward of the community. And from what I saw today, just even with, you know, the way I admit, you didn't even have everybody there today, you know, it's just a practice of, of who was there. Uh, but, you know, the way that I could tell that when you're talking to the kids about the stuff that, you know, when we're, like, for example, we're going to have, uh, Bob Kendrick on from the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum. You already talked about the Negro Leagues. You taught them about that last year. So when, when I asked the kids if they would be willing to send in a video to maybe ask Bob a question when we do have that conversation next week, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, you know, you could see the recognition. It's like they know kind of where they're coming from and where the history. And there's so much to celebrate. And in this in the city of Chicago, uh, as far as you know, the history of black baseball, and you're keeping it alive, and the South Side, you know, that down there today, and it's just a beautiful thing. So anyway, I just want to bring up this here. Um, you can donate directly to LostBoysInc.org, and there are links right there on the site. So you don't have to go through any of the fundraisers we have. You could just right now go to the website and just straight up give them five, ten, hundred, a million dollars. You give yeah. Levante a million dollars, and then we'll. And and um, and uh, anyway, I I just I'm I'm really just impressed by you and everything that you're doing, and um, just thank you for doing what you're doing because I know you're trying to make a positive in, impact in a community that uh, sometimes gets forgotten in this city. And uh, so thank you. And um, all right. Well, I guess, is there anything else you want to add about the Lost Boys? Because we're, we're going to definitely talk to you again in more of these conversations. We just want to introduce you to everybody that has been supporting us at the at John Baker Day over the years and everything. And so if you have anything else to add, um, I'll, t- I'll take us out. Well, all I want to say is, you know, one of the things we're really proud of and happy about at Lost Boys is really been the generosity of so many people and organizations all around Chicago, all around our country from our beloved sport of baseball. So, you know, we've gotten quite a few more MLB uh, players that are getting involved with us. Marcus Stroman, uh, Sean Doolittle. Now we got Coach John Baker. So we're really (laughs) pumped. And uh, I look forward to to Lost Boys becoming a supporter, not just this one year and one time with, with John Baker Day. We want to continuously be a part of John Baker Day moving forward, right? Uh, because I think one thing that's really important that Coach does, and the kids' ears peaked up uh, as we talked about this stuff, is the mental skills part. We're really big on social-emotional learning. So, like, really quickly I'll say this and then sign off. 
Um, one of the things I taught my 14U team this year and we're teaching other teams is one real simple exercise that we now do repetitively, right? Because we got to do things repetitiously in baseball is they have to, they've learned uh, an emotional awareness exercise where I teach them how to relax, bring themselves to a centered place and then scan the body for how the emotions feel that day and where are those emotions? How do you label those emotions? And then we talk about them and then we take them and we juxtapose them against other things or put them in other contexts. So today, you know, we went through people's emotional scans early this morning in a virtual session. And so people were peaceful. Uh, people were nervous. People were really confident because they had a good batting practice yesterday, which we hadn't had in a while. And some of the guys were hitting rockets and hadn't haven't done that. And um, so then we talked about how do we take that and transfer that or juxtapose that to the game today in context of baseball. So they had to create affirmative statements. Like, for example, I will use my peacefulness to settle myself at the plate and locate the ball so that I can hit well. So then, you know, they were, their job was to go into the game that didn't happen and locate that emotion again and put it in the right place during the course of the game. So that's something I'm really, we've really been starting to experiment with last year, right? Instead of hollering at kids and all of that stuff is figure out what's going on and help them untie those knots. So anyway, guys, thank you so much for having me today. And I'm really pumped and excited and I'm looking for JBD, looking forward to JBD day. And, uh, Thank you, Danny, and thank you, Corey, and thank you, Coach Baker. Yeah, I, oh, I, kn- I knew it. I saw you you peeking up, John. It's like it was like, oh, he's oh, speaking man. John speak. <laughs> You're speaking my language. I mean, I think that there's a history of this in Chicago sports as well. Um, that is a fantastic corollary. When when Jordan left to play baseball, uh, Phil Jackson brought George Mumford in on the advice of John Kabat-Zinn, um, who who runs the mindfulness-based stress reduction clinic out of UMass. And it's kind of like the American father of mindfulness practice. He realized that um, to communicate to the athletes, he needed to have somebody uh, that could teach this stuff. And, and anybody out there that, that, that wants to read more about that, George Mumford's book, The Mindful Athlete, is fantastic. But Levante is teaching kids a mindful, mindfulness exercise. And it's one of the most important things to be able to do as an athlete because sometimes – it's important for us to take that analytical viewpoint, to be able to step back and look at things from a bird's eye view, reassess our strategy, and then refocus. But other times, it's okay for us to be emotional. We were talking earlier about being a kid and playing baseball. Um, And I think one of the things that we're often taught just as boys or men in the United States is to run away from those things. But if a man moved, if a man is judged as a man because he moves towards the things that are difficult, then that is the art of manliness that's being taught in that, in, in that setting, being in touch with how you feel so you can be in the here and now and focus in this moment on what you need to do uh, is a lesson that I think a lot of people aren't getting. And, and it just makes me so happy, Levante, to hear that that's part of the message, to read the website and see the things that you're doing and doing it in the name of baseball. Um, I'm just so honored to have you here and to have you a part of this and, can't wait to do everything we possibly can to support you and hopefully get on some, uh, well, I can get on some Zooms and do some mental skills yes. stuff with the kids. I, I, I yes. can't wait to do that. Me yeah. too. 
Yeah, very cool. I, I knew this was going to – I love it when a plan comes together. <laughs> like, yeah. a like a triangle. Yeah, like Danny's got to rock very out. Powerful. We were talking about some music, so, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, the, and, and that's the beauty is – and uh, that's part of my teaser because uh, not only are we going to raise uh, a lot of money for Levante by doing all sorts of fun things, which I'm going to get into right after – uh, this in the next section uh, that uh, we're going to show you. But tonight is going to be the debut of the brand new punk rock version of the Ballad of John Baker. So like this is this is this is the fun final one. And uh, lucky for me, John's brother Will is also on this track rocking the trombone, and he he got himself a big new bass or, or no, is it a bass uh, contrabass trombone? Contrabass oh, trombone, enormous one. He bought it just so he could. His dream is to play Wagner at yeah. Bayreuth, and so uh, and so. I'm like, well, you got to pull that thing out. He, just, he brought it just to play the one brown note that's going to make yeah. everybody poop right. themselves. It's going to be beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it, it's it's great. So that's going to debut at the end of this show. But in the meantime, just stay tuned, and we're going to give you all sorts of ways that you can uh, get involved with John Baker Day this year. So um, thank you, Levante, and thank you, John for all your time tonight um happy john this is airing on john baker day so happy john baker day everybody hopefully happy john baker day cubs are in cincinnati let's get a win tonight tonight (laughs) let's get a win tonight beat the reds yeah please don't go 16 i gotta work tomorrow (laughs) it's only (laughs) wednesday man don't worry there's a don't worry danny if we go in extra innings there's a guy on second base now quicker i know it's gonna get weird those get you're just gonna keep tying you're gonna yeah. score that guy, and then the other team's gonna score the guy, and then you're just gonna it's gonna go sixteen, you're gonna end up pitching again. You get on the oh, thirty man. man. <laughs> so well th- well, thank you guys very much and uh, stay guys. tuned for a little bit more information about John Baker Day twenty twenty and all the things we're gonna do. And um all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna sign off then. Cool. All right. Cool. That's that's it, guys. I have one one thing for you, Levante. Um, we were talking. Danny and I were talking about uh, your players sending in questions. Uh, yes. And, and uh, we were thinking it would be cool if you had them. Uh, you know, maybe say like what position they play and stuff, and then like you know maybe what player they look up to or something like that. You know, just to kind of absolutely an opportunity. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, let us kind of get to know their personality. And and even if it's honestly, I, I know that being over there too, like we we also have connections with the White Sox too. Um, yeah. And so if there's people that they like, man, um, let us know uh, because we can we can bridge that gap pretty quickly too. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm working on an email tonight. One of our newest volunteer coaches is neighbors with Melissa Hennessy, who's Dr. Hennessy's wife from the Sox and. Somebody awesome. is somebody's neighbor with Tim Anderson. So he wants me to write the email. He's going to give it to the person who's the neighbor of Tim. And we're going to try to get Tim down to do something or on a video or something. It's going to be fantastic because he's a, he's a, he's a big voice, a great player and a, and a hell of a personality. So awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So great thanks guys. Too. All right, cool. cool. Thanks guys. Yeah. Uh, and Thank you guys. All right. I'm I'll talk to you later. All right. Good to see all everybody. Right. Yeah. Bye John. Right. Talk to you soon. Bye, talk to you soon. Bye Levante. Bye, Danny. Corey. Bye. Levante. Quick word to you all. I really appreciate you downloading uh, the Sun Ranto show in all its many forms. But you are obviously listening to an ad-ridden version of the audio version of our live taped podcast. Now, uh, what you should do, if you'd like to listen to it in this form, is just subscribe for a dollar a month at patreon.com slash sunranto. 
you get your own RSS feed. You just copy and paste that into any podcatcher, and it will download automatically just like you're doing right now. Uh, The only difference is you don't have to listen to ads, which would be great for you and for me, who if I get enough people to join Patreon.com slash Sunranto, then I can quit doing ads because it's a waste of my time, it's a waste of your time, it's a waste of everybody's time. So do it, patreon.com slash sunranto. It's a dollar a month. At $5 a month, you get all my music. At $10 a month, you get other stuff. You, I mean, just just take a look. Patreon.com slash sunranto. Poke around. Join up today. It's a dollar. Come on now. It's a dollar. It's a dollar. If you would buy one of the three hosts of this podcast a beer every year, well, that's that's a dollar. <laughs> I can't do it regularly anyway. Please subscribe. whatever you got would really be appreciated. Patreon.com slash SunRanto. Quit listening to useless ads. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, You're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at SCS. Dot Georgetown dot edu slash podcast. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shana's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past. And the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows.